Coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, let me just read this sentence to you. It's now clear that there is a literal neural overlap in the way we process and experience relational and physical pain. So this explains why researchers have literally found that Tylenol can reduce hurt feelings and emotional support can lessen physical pain. And we're talking about that from childbirth or cancer treatment, heart surgery. So our need for connection with others has literally shaped our neural makeup and the whole structure of our emotional life. So this explains why it can be so hard to get over a broken heart. We're going to talk about how you do that and and why it is so difficult. That and more coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch. Welcome to episode 214 of The Virtual Couch. I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father for ultra marathon runner and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anyone that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them, and trust me, it can be done once and for all in a completely strength-based, hold the shame, become the person you always wanted to be. Then head over to pathbackrecovery.com and there you will find a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to put pornography behind them once and for all. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And uh, go find me on Instagram at Virtual Couch or also Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist on Facebook. And I would uh, I would highly encourage you to um, I don't know, pay attention to TonyOverbay.com. There's a big site revamp that is coming soon, and I would just love for you to go to the section and sign up to find out more about exciting new things that are coming up. I have a marriage program, a magnetic marriage program that is so close to just uh, talking more about. I guess I'm talking about it right now, but it's I'm really I'm really excited about it. I think it's gonna gonna help a lot of people and, and do good work. And I'm doing that with a good friend. And there is going to be a lot of information coming up on that very soon. And again, you can uh, go to TonyOverbay.com and and sign up to find out more about that. And I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, and I forgot I used to talk about this all the time, but you can send questions or, or um, podcast suggestions to contact at TonyOverbay.com. And, uh, and I got a whole lot of those the last couple of weeks. So I am putting together a, a question and answer podcast episode. And it's it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of uh, topics that I really enjoy talking about that I maybe haven't covered in a while on the podcast. So um, submit any questions or podcast ideas, that sort of thing. And uh, there's always still the free parenting course. You can go to TonyOverbay.com slash courses, and it's parenting positively, even in the most uh, not not so positive of times. And that's completely free, and it will uh, it will be up there, and, and uh, I hope you can take advantage of that. So let's get to today's topic, which is one that... I'm dealing with on a weekly basis and have been for years. And, uh, and I just feel like the last few weeks, I've, I've just been trying to point people to resources of how to heal a broken heart. And, and it can be so difficult. And it's, you know, I, I really find it's one of the most difficult things of being a therapist is, is helping people navigate these, uh, I mean, there's this, these choppy waters of a breakup. And by a breakup, I mean, I really, I mean, everything from a breakup of, Somebody that uh, they felt was their instant soulmate, but after a few weeks or months, things just didn't really progress. Or I'm, I mean, let's face it, I'm talking about divorce, and and I've actually never kept stats on how many couples that I've worked with that end up in divorce. And uh, I did do a quick bit of googling the latest data from the American Psychological Association, which was quoting the National Survey of Family Growth, says, "quote 
No one enters into a marriage expecting it to fail. Still more than 20% of first marriages end in divorce within five years and 48% of marriages dissolve by the 20-year mark. So if you've always heard that it's you know half of marriages end in divorce, you're, that's, that's still the case. And if I'm being completely honest, working with anywhere from, I mean, at any given week, there's maybe a dozen to 15, 20 couples, I, I often forget that uh, both parties aren't coming into therapy with the goal of rescuing the marriage. And there are times where people are coming in and they want, it's almost like a checkbox approach or, I mean, because they feel like if they don't, then people will think that they never tried or they, uh, you know, they're kind of coming in with a, with a really, okay, I almost sometimes feel as a therapist this, okay, uh, fix us, Mr. Therapist, if you uh, if you think you can. And and that's fine. I mean, I, I would rather have people coming into therapy and hearing what communication can be that this new communication pattern can be or really hearing each other. I would rather have that even if they're coming in under not the greatest of, of uh, pretenses than them not coming in at all. And, uh, and that's even a bit controversial in the marriage therapy world where some people say, well, look, if they don't want to be there, you're wasting your time, you're wasting their time. And, and that's fine. But I really feel like at least let's get somebody in there and, and let them see let them see what uh, therapy's like. Let them sit on the couch. Let them have a bottle of water. Let them see that the therapist maybe isn't just sitting there with um, a corduroy jacket and arm patches on saying, tell me more about your mom. You know, that there, there are some nice evidence-based models that can help people communicate better. But uh, I don't know. And, and I feel like that's the thing, too, I was going to say. Um, it, it's there. There's this concept uh, that can be very, very deep of where situations where the couple doesn't communicate well or they've been living these completely separate lives and they don't even know where to begin to try and heal the relationship. And that is where my good friend, emotionally focused couples therapy is incredibly effective. And and as I kind of alluded to in the intro here that, uh, and again, another kind of off the cuff plug is this magnetic marriage couples program that I was talking about earlier. I really believe that there's some good information, exercises, all that kind of stuff to help really create a, a pretty incredible marriage but there are people that um, my point was that sometimes I find that there are somebody who feels that they are so, and I'm air quoting here, um, broken, that why would their spouse even want to work on the marriage? Or why should they even try if they, and again, I will air quote, know that they are going to sabotage the marriage anyway. So sometimes, I mean, even in the best of circumstances or situations, one of the parties in the marriage are just not not willing to do the work or they're afraid to do the work and they're covering that up by you know, projecting it onto their partner saying, well, I mean, why would you even want to be with me? You know, why would you even want to trust me again? Why would you want? And so that's a little bit of that projection. So, I mean, you, you run into all kinds of things as a marriage therapist, but healing a broken heart, it, it can be excruciating. And I once had a client many, many moons ago who hadn't been in a serious relationship. And she was, I think, in her late 20s or early 30s. So, uh, of course, um, changing some small details to protect the innocent. But she did incredible individual work to put herself out there in the dating scene, had worked through a lot of social anxiety, and she met somebody. And we had amazing sessions of her being open and vulnerable, you name it. And then long story short, the guy decided that, uh, what's the cliche, he just wasn't into her. Or, um, the you know, so the relationship, uh, he wasn't into the relationship, and so he broke up with her. And honestly, that one, that one, and I know it's not about me. But that one killed me because we worked so hard to get this woman into a vulnerable spot to put herself out there to then truly find that someone that she thought she connected with only to have him then say, yeah, this isn't really working for me. And uh, man, that one killed me. And it, and it took her a while to get over that too. 
But, you know, it really probably was best because uh, he ended it early instead of just doing what I often call the next logical thing, meaning, you know, where somebody says, well, we've dated this long. So the next logical thing, I guess, is to get married. But many months after the breakup, I mean, she was still just incredibly devastated. Hey, here's some uh, fun behind the scenes things going on. It was getting hot in my office. And so I paused, turned the fan on, realized the fan was pretty loud. So I turned the fan off and then I just hit unpause, not record again, and started talking. So I just did about 10 minutes of podcast gold that uh, was not uh, being recorded. So let's see if we can recreate this again. So let me just spend a just a couple of minutes here on what I might even say is an even stronger, yet more frustrating emotional bond to be broken. And that is of an emotionally or a physically abused client. And in particular, I see a lot of uh, a lot of women who are in relationships with or trying to remove themselves from relationships with narcissistic men or people with uh, narcissistic tendencies or on the spectrum of uh, narcissistic personality disorder. And if you haven't listened to the episode I did a while ago on trauma bonding, I would highly recommend that you go spend some time with that if you feel that that might be your case. I mean, because the trauma bond stuff is incredible. And and actually in prep for this, uh, this episode, I was looking through just, you know, I was going to give a very succinct definition again on trauma bonding. And I actually stumbled upon an amazing article by a uh, a clinical psychologist named Shari Steins from Psych Central called What is Trauma Bonding? And I'll, I'll include that in the show notes. But she said that one thing often asked by those in helping professions when confronted with a person in an unhealthy relationship is, why do you stay? And this question has implications of weakness and failure on the part of the victim, and it usually causes shame. And I, anybody who's listened to The Virtual Couch knows I am not a fan of shame. So rather than asking this question of a victim of abuse, it's best for a counselor to understand the concept of trauma bonding. So um, Shari was, I think, writing this to the therapist to be able to allow us to help our clients that come to us who we are saying internally, why, why do you stay? And so um, she wanted to be able to explain trauma bonding to an individual who seems stuck in a bad relationship. And so in a nutshell, trauma bonding is a loyalty to a person who is destructive. And, and while the idea of bonding tends to bring up connotations of something that's good and beneficial, trauma bonds are clearly unhealthy. She said, according to Patrick Carnes in his book, Betrayal Bonds, uh, there are a number of signs that a person is involved in an unhealthy bond with a partner or a significant uh, other significant person. And she said, here are some of the thoughts to consider determining if you are in a trauma bond with somebody. And, and again, I want you to know the context of this is why it can be so hard to heal a broken heart, especially when sometimes when people step back, they know that they have been in a relationship with someone that has been unhealthy, emotionally unhealthy. Um, and, and again, part of this trauma bond. But she said, here are some things to consider to know if you are in a trauma bond with somebody. If there's a consistent pattern of non-performance, yet you continue to believe promises to the contrary. Or if others, and I thought this was fascinating, others seem disturbed by something that has happened to you or something that was said to you and, and you're not. You know, if, if you've just, uh, if your spouse has just, just said horrific things to you and you're kind of like, ah, I know, he says those things. Or if you feel stuck because the other person keeps doing destructive things, but you really believe there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, if you, if you can't get them to go to counseling or, you know, if you can't have a conversation with them, you just like, I don't know, what am I supposed to do? You know, um, if you try to, and, and I know there's some, you know, semantics here. It says if you try to change the person into becoming less destructive by trying to get them to stop an addiction or become a non-abuser. And I know that, you know, okay, I can't change anyone. But it's it's basically kind of if you have put yourself out there to try and be vulnerable because you are tired of being 
um, emotionally or physically abused, or if the person continues to turn to an addiction instead of the relationship, then then that could be the signs of a trauma bond as well. Or you keep having repetitive damaging fights with this person that nobody wins. Or you seem unable to detach from someone even though you can't trust them, or you really don't even like them. That one, boy, that one rang true. And and uh, and I think about that uh, that concept often when I'm in therapy, where you know it's somebody that you can't trust, and that that bond of trust is completely broken. But you don't even know how to communicate about it, and you can't get the person into counseling to even talk about it. But and, and so you find yourself not even really being a big fan of them. But yet there you are saying, man, but you know he's okay. Um, there there's some good times. Or when you try to leave this person and you find yourself missing them to the point of longing that is so awful that you believe it's going to destroy you, even though there is this pattern of unhealthy relationship. She said that usually trauma bonds occur in relationships involving inconsistent reinforcement. And there's one of the keys of the whole trauma bond, such as those with addicts or alcoholics or in domestic violence situations, or even this is where I say, or in emotionally abusive or gaslighting situations where you're made to constantly feel crazy. She said that dysfunctional marriages also cause trauma bonds because there's always a time when things seem to be normal and people go back to this normal. She said other types of relationships involving trauma bonds include, uh, she says, cult-like religious organizations, kidnapping and hostage situations, those involving child abuse or incest or unhealthy work environments. But the environment necessary to create a trauma bond involves intensity, complexity, inconsistency, and she says, and a promise that victims stay because they're holding on to this elusive promise or hope that there is always manipulation involved. Victims are prey to the manipulation because they are willing to tolerate anything for the payoff, which is that elusive promise and never present hope for fulfillment or some deeply personal need within the victim. So often, uh, Shari says, those in a traumatic relationship are, quote, looking right at it but can't see it. Only time away from the unhealthy attachment can a person begin to see the destruction it's caused. So in essence, people need to detox from trauma bonds by breaking them and then staying away from the relationship. So I, I hope you can understand why I, I threw that in there. Because if you are having just this incredibly difficult time in in detaching or in working past or working through uh, or healing this broken heart from someone that seems to have been uh, not there emotionally from from the get go, and you've been hanging on to these little bits of normal. Then, then that could be this trauma bond, and that can be one of the reasons why it can be so hard, because you know you you were in this just inconsistent um, relationship, looking right at it, like she said, but can't see it. But back to my story. So my client just couldn't stop thinking about her her ex, and again, who most likely broke up for a good reason, and so they wouldn't be, you know, they he broke up so that they wouldn't be in this lifeless or, or possibly even loveless marriage. So. Here's one of the, the, there's a TED talk that I think is pretty fascinating, amazing, and just a source of wealth of good information about how to fix a broken heart called just that. It's by a psychologist, uh, Guy Winch. Again, this is a TED talk called How to Fix a Broken Heart. And in his talk, Guy talks about a client who he had who had battled through cancer and, and just had been this amazing, amazingly resilient and strong woman who had then experienced a breakup. And he said, five months after that breakup, his client's name was Kathy. Kathy still couldn't stop thinking about Rich, the person who broke up with her. Her heart was still very much broken. And the question, Guy said, is why? Why was this incredibly strong and determined woman unable to, to, to just pull from the same emotional resources that got her through four years of cancer treatments? And then he goes on to say, why do so many of us flounder when we're trying to recover from heartbreak? Uh, why do the same coping mechanisms that get us through all kinds of life challenges fail us miserably when our heart gets broken? 
And, and you can have these incredibly strong people, but then when they go through these breakups, they just turn to, you know, this, uh, this puddle of goo, you know, this, this not emotionally strong person that they are, that they present themselves to in all other areas of their life. Guy Winch said in over 20 years of private practice, he said, I've seen people at every age and background face every manner of heartbreak. And he said, what I've learned is this, when your heart is broken, the same instincts you ordinarily rely on will time and time again, lead you down the wrong path. And, and he said, you simply cannot trust what your mind is telling you. That is so key. This is one of those keys of how to fix a broken heart. He said, for example, and this is what I love. This is why I wanted to pull from this, uh, this TED Talk. He said, for example, we know from studies of heartbroken people that having a clear understanding of why the relationship ended is really important for our ability to move on. Yet time and again, when we are offered a simple and honest explanation, like the one that this uh, this client that he had, Rich, offered Kathy, which is the, hey, I just don't feel like we're going anywhere. Or like my client, you know, her, her at that time boyfriend said, I just, I, I don't feel like there's the connection. I don't feel like I really love you, is what he said. That, that sounds like it can, that, that is, it can be as simple as that. But heartbreak can, I mean, so what, what Guy is saying is that when we're offered sometimes a simple or honest explanation, we reject it. So heartbreak creates such dramatic emotional pain that our mind tells us that the cause must be equally dramatic. So that gut instinct becomes so powerful that it can even make the most reasonable and measured of us come up with mysteries and conspiracy theories where none possibly exist. And so in, in his scenario, his client Kathy became convinced that something must have happened during her romantic getaway with Rich. Uh, there's a story that he had told that it soured him on the relationship. So she became obsessed with figuring out what, what that was. She spent countless hours going through every minute of this weekend in her mind, searching for her memory for clues that weren't there. And so, and, and his point being that Kathy's mind tricked her into initiating this wild goose chase. That uh, And that wild goose chase, you know, trying to find these puzzle pieces that if she could put them back together, that possibly she could put the relationship back together. And, and I run into that all the time. This is where people just want to know why, why, why is he breaking up? Why can't, why doesn't he want to talk more? Why is he with this person? Why? And we're trying to find these puzzle pieces as if, if we put those puzzle pieces together, then all of a sudden we'll go, oh, oh okay, I'm good. No, thank you. And, and unfortunately, that's our brain trying to make sense of things. Our brain likes order and, uh, and our brain wants to make sense of things. He said that heartbreak is far more insidious than we realize. He said there's a reason we keep going down one rabbit hole after another, even when we know it's going to make us feel worse. Brain studies have shown that the withdrawal of romantic love activates the same mechanisms in our brain that get activated when addicts are withdrawing from substances like cocaine or opioids. And I often, in working with clients, especially those that are coming off of a trauma bond, we start to look at it like an addiction. When somebody starts to feel bad, when they start to feel hungry or angry or lonely or tired or bored or any of those things, their mind turns to this addictive substance, which is their former partner. And so they often find themselves reaching out and wanting to know answers. And, and then they want to put the puzzle pieces together and it can just drive them insane. He said, Kathy was going through withdrawal. And so since she couldn't have the heroin of actually being with Rich, her unconscious mind chose the methadone of her memories with him. Her instincts told her that she was trying to solve a mystery, but what she was actually doing was getting her fix. And Guy Winch says this is what makes heartbreak so difficult to heal. Addicts know that they're addicted. They know when they're shooting up, but heartbroken people do not. But he's saying, now you do. 
And, and if your heart is broken, you can't ignore that. You have to recognize that. As compelling as the urge is, he says, with every trip down memory lane, every text you send, every second you spend stalking your ex on social media, you're just feeding your addiction and deepening your emotional pain and complicating your recovery. So getting over a heartbreak, he says, is not a journey. It's a fight. And your reason is your strongest weapon. He said, there's no breakup explanation that's going to feel satisfying. I will say that over and over again. There is no there, no breakup explanation that is going to feel satisfying. I have yet to see in my 15 years and hundreds of people through breakups have found the person that gets all the puzzle pieces together and then goes, okay, thank you. I'm good. I don't think we need to meet anymore. You know, thank you. Um, do we even need to finish this session? I haven't ran into that yet. So no rationale can take away the pain. So he said, so don't search for one. Don't wait for one. Just accept the one that you were offered or make one up yourself and then put the question to rest because you need that closure to resist the addiction and you need something else as well. He said, you have to be willing to let go to accept that it's over. Otherwise, your mind will feed upon your hope and set you back. And hope can be incredibly destructive when your heart is broken. He said, heartbreak is this master manipulator, the ease with which it gets our mind to do the absolute opposite of what we need in order to recover is remarkable. One of the most common tendencies, Guy says, that we have when our heart is broken is to idealize the person who broke it. We spend hours remembering their smile and how great they made us feel, that time we hiked up the mountain or made love under the stars, or all that does is make our loss feel more painful. And he said, we know that, yet we still allow our mind to cycle through one of greatest hits after another, like we were being held hostage by our own passive-aggressive Spotify playlist. And, and I find this as well. It's funny. I can be in a session and have somebody start to talk about some of the emotional abuse or the destructive patterns that their, their, their partner or former partner had done over and over again. And if I say, man, that, that, that sounds hard or uh, you know, no one deserves that, then you get, well, yeah, but you know, there were times where he was good. I mean, he really, he's, he's doing a lot better. He was doing great. He was starting to communicate more. And then he just, you know, then he was emotionally withdrawn or emotionally abusive again. But he was, there are times, and you know, and that, again, that's that sign of that trauma bond. She said that, uh, she, Guy, Guy Winch said, heartbreak will make those thoughts pop into your mind. And so to avoid idealizing, you have to balance them out by remembering their frown, not just their smile, how bad they made you feel. The fact that, uh, um, you know, you got lost coming down the mountain or argued like crazy or didn't speak for two days. He said, when I tell my patients uh, to compile, you know, oftentimes to compile this exhaustive list of all the ways the person was wrong for you, all the bad qualities, the pet peeves, and then keep it on your phone. And, and I remember one of the first clients I ever did this with where the guy just would eviscerate her in text. And I remember buying this software at the time that would, you know, pull text off of a phone so that we could have this file of just these horrific things that he would say. I didn't like, you know, her having to turn to that. But, man, you left her alone for a few days in her thoughts. And she would come back and say, I don't know, I keep wanting to reach out to him. I, th- I mean, I, I think we can put this thing back together. And so being able to go back and just remember that, OK, no, he, he did some bad things. He wasn't a very nice person. And so um, Guy Winch says, once you have your list, you have to use it. He said, when I hear even a hint of idealizing or the faintest whiff of nostalgia in a session, he said, I go, phone, please. Your mind will try to tell you that they were perfect, but they weren't. And neither was the relationship. And if you want to get over them, you have to remind yourself of that. And you have to remind yourself of that often frequently. He said that heartbreak shares all the hallmarks of traditional loss and grief insomnia, intrusive thoughts, immune system dysfunction. He said 40% of people experience clinically measurable depression. Heartbreak is a complex psychological injury. It impacts us in a multitude of ways. And uh, he says that, and one of the things I thought was interesting, he'd given another example, but he said, 
oftentimes people don't just lose their 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 spouse they lose their social life or their supportive community of of their church or you know they lose their identity as a couple even if it wasn't a healthy relationship hey i promise i will make this very quick but i'm just trying a little something different i'm uh oh let me start the stopwatch right now um, I do want to do a quick ad about BetterHelp.com. Again, if you go to BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch, you can unlock the world of online therapy. BetterHelp.com has helped now. I think it's pushing a million people. Um, you can have a licensed professional counselor uh, contact. You can be in contact with them within 24 to 48 hours. And uh, they have a variety of specialties. That no doubt people there can help. If you are identifying with some trauma uh, in this episode that you want resolved, Um I just want you to get help. So if you uh, if you don't feel comfortable going and waiting in a, wait, a waiting room, especially right now with the big shelter in place order, if it's easier for you to um, dip into the world of online therapy, go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, get 10% off your first month's treatment. And uh, if you don't like your therapist, you can, you can, you can get the new one and it's not very difficult to do. And uh, again, a lot, a lot of different specialties or licensed professional counselors, I'm at 56, 57 seconds, so I will wrap this up. Um, but betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, uh, you, you deserve it. You deserve, uh, you know, they have a sliding scale if you need it. They have uh, scholarships, all that sort of thing. But uh, if you haven't given therapy a try and you don't necessarily feel comfortable going to a therapist in your area, um, give betterhelp.com a try, betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Okay, let's get back to the show. And we're back. All right, so in Guy Winch's TED Talk, How to Fix a Broken Heart, he then goes on to talk about how devastating, why a heartbreak can be so devastating. He said, it's to, to, you have to identify these voids because now all of a sudden we may have the void of a person. We might have a void of a social life. We might have a void of a supportive community. We might have a void of this identity as a couple. And I, I deal with these, this concept of voids in my addiction work. I often talk about when someone turns to an addiction, it is because they feel a void. And when I, and I, and I've often said that when I'm working with, especially I work with a lot of men and then compulsive sexual behavior, pornography, that sort of thing, and that they turn to these behaviors when they feel this void. So I often go and I try and, you know, okay, uh, how do they feel about their marriage? How do they feel about their parenting? How do they feel about their career? How do they feel about their faith? How do they feel about their health? So you, you start to address all of these issues and that starts to shore up these voids. So I like that uh, the guy Winch went there too. He said that you have to fill these voids in your life. And he said all of them, the voids in your identity, you have to reestablish who you are and what your life is about. The voids in your social life, the missing activities, even the empty spaces on the wall where pictures used to hang. And, and he said, you know, none of that will do any good unless you prevent the mistakes that can set you back. The unnecessary searches for explanations or idealizing your ex instead of focusing on how they were wrong for you, or indulging in thoughts and behaviors that still give them a starring role in this next chapter of your life when they shouldn't even be an extra in that role. Um, he goes on to say, getting over a heartbreak is hard, but if you refuse to be misled by your mind and you take steps to heal, you can significantly mim- minimize your suffering. There, There's going to be suffering. I mean, it, that's it's it's inevitable. Life is about suffering. But once we kind of accept that that life is difficult, that life is hard, once we kind of accept that, then then the fact that life can be difficult or hard or the fact that life will be full of struggle or we'll have a, uh, these moments of struggle, it, it becomes just kind of accepted. Once we can accept that, then we can kind of move through it. Then we can transcend it. So, so he said that, you know, 
again, getting over heartbreak is hard, but if you refuse to be misled by your mind and you take the steps to heal, you significantly minimize your suffering. And it won't just be you who benefits from that. You'll be more present with your friends. You'll be more engaged with your family, not to mention the billions of dollars, he says, of compromised productivity in the workplace that could be avoided. So he goes on to say, if you know someone who is heartbroken or just have compassion because social support has been found to be so important for their recovery and have patience because it's going to take them longer to move on than you think it should. That is so key. I have people often that, that will say to me, you know, loved ones will reach out to me and, Hey, uh, do you want to just kind of let your, uh, let you know, let my, my sister know, or let my, my brother know that, um, this is kind of getting to be a drag on us. Like he just needs to move on. He just needs to realize, you know, and boy, sure. sure is easier said than done. Right. So if you're hurting, know this, it's difficult. Guy Winch says it's difficult. It's a battle within your own mind and you have to be diligent to win, but you have weapons you can fight. And he says, you will heal. And this is where I, in the trailer in the coming up on today's episode that I shared earlier from Sue Johnson's love sense, which is the science of emotionally focused therapy. She talks about physical pain and emotional pain. And, uh, she said the, and this one's pretty amazing. Now this, there's this literal neural overlap in, in the way that we process and experience relational and physical pain. Both pains as experiments by psychologist Naomi Eisenberger of UCLA attest are alarm systems designed to grab our attention and focus our resources on minimizing threat, the threat and hurt feelings, which is arising from triggers such as rejection by a loved one is emotional loss and separation. In mammals, perhaps because of their need for an extended maternal care, isolation is a clear danger cue. It registers as a physical threat to survival. So when we go through this breakup, it makes sense that it is registering as a physical threat to our survival. So this neural overlap, uh, Sue Johnson says, explains why, as researchers have found, Tylenol can reduce hurt feelings and emotional support can lessen physical pain including that of childbirth or cancer treatment, heart surgery. So our need for connection with others has shaped our neural makeup and the structure of our emotional life. So the good news is that even if we were emotionally starved in our childhood relationships, that our adult lovers can offer us the second chance to learn new and effective ways to deal with our emotions and signal our longing to others. So that's from this science of emotionally focused therapy. She goes on to say that's good news because that book is talking about attachment. But this further goes on to explain or I hope that you can see where I'm going with why then healing a broken heart can be so difficult because we we are having the same physical pain. This physical and emotional pain reside in the same area of the brain. So, and that's why you can, you know, look at the the way that language is used to describe breakups, ripping one's heart out, emotionally scarred. You know, um, we would rather be physically hurt than often feel this social exclusion. And, uh, and you know, when you are alone, you, you have this increase in this hormone cortisol. I've talked often about cortisol. It's a stress hormone. And you have a decrease in the hor- hormone norepinephrine, which creates this huge stress response, which leads to these feelings of depression or anxiety. So again, a breakup or a loss of a loved one or social isol- isolation will cause this stress response. And, and high levels of social support are then associated with lower levels of emotional and physical pain. So being socially alienated, if, if that is the case, individuals tend to show more problems adjusting. So as difficult as it might seem, one of the, the key ways to fix a broken heart is surrounding yourself with friends or family or loved ones. And if you're not exactly ready for that, surround yourself with people in general. Being alone might feel like what you want to do, but that's your brain wanting the path of least resistance. So a couple of things that I I put together here, forgive yourself. That doesn't mean that you won't feel the pains or try to make sense of a breakup. But when you recognize that you are in that, that pain cave, 
Just gently recognize where you're at. Reach for a metaphorical light and just slowly exit the cave. And if you need to, take in all the feelings, the emotions, the senses on the way out. You don't have to run screaming out of the cave because you'll only be traumatizing yourself for when you find yourself in there again. Be kind to yourself. Self-care. Raise that emotional baseline. Learn to be present. And I know how that, how cliche that might sound, but a good friend of mine once said that the fastest way that he was able to get out of a really dark time in his life was to be able to just go outside. I love it. He said his app was called Outside, which reminds me of one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride, where I believe the grandpa said at the beginning, you know, when I was your age, television was called Books. So I believe with this friend that I just mentioned, somebody was telling me about an app called Self Care, which is a wonderful app. But when I mentioned that to this person, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. My app was called Outside. Um, last week, I did an episode about what to say to somebody who has been through a traumatic experience. So find people who will allow you to feel, to be, to cry, to vent, and thank them for allowing you to do that. And then ask them to get out a game or take you on a walk or do whatever you can, fun things with family or friends. It might be called distraction at first, but it's also helping you stay out of your mind, stay out of that pain cave when you can. Um, who are you? Oftentimes people lose themselves in relationships that aren't healthy. And let's face it, if the relationship has ended, there's a good chance it wasn't healthy. And you may have found yourself feeling, thinking, or doing things that aren't truly who you believe you are. I often hear people weeks or months after a relationship ends recognizing that they had lost a bit of themselves thanks to a partner who was emotionally draining. One woman recently told me that she wasn't supported in pretty much anything from going on walks with friends to watching the shows she wanted to watch because she was constantly trying to do whatever she could to make him happy so that he would stay. And she didn't realize till after she got out of that relationship what power this person had. Um, your body's a temple. I know this is yet another cliche, but you really need to do the best you can to be the best you in order to move forward. Exercise, even just going out on a walk daily, proper hydration, um, eat a piece of fruit every day. It doesn't mean that you're not going to completely crush an entire bag of Kit Kat miniatures or a tub of Ben and Jerry's. Both real things that I have heard confessed over the last uh, couple of weeks, even during a breakup. But now is truly an opportunity to start taking a little bit more care of yourself. Um, there's a book called The Upside to Your Dark Side that said, uh, actually, you have the book here. I grabbed it. Uh, let me read this. Literally on the back of the book, happiness experts have long told us to tune out our negative emotions and focus instead on mindfulness and positivity and optimism, which for the record, I'm very big fans of. But researchers Todd Cashton and Robert Bywes Diener um, disagree. Positive emotions alone are not enough. Anger makes us creative. Selfishness makes us brave. And guilt is a power, powerful motivator. The real key to success lies in emotional agility. Um, drawing upon extensive scientific research and a wide array of real-life examples, the upside of your dark side will be embraced by business leaders, parents, and everybody else who is ready to put their entire psychological toolkit to work. This is the one where I will have people often say, you know what, I'm going to start going to the gym, I'm going to get in good shape, I'm going to eat better, just to show my ex. And they're like, oh, I know I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't do that, I shouldn't say that. And first of all, I, I do my good old classic, uh, don't should on yourself. I mean, if in the upside to your dark side, if you need to use that for motivation to get that you know, that, I don't know, beach bod or whatever the, the saying is, then then embrace it. Do it. I mean, if that's something to lean into, go for it. So, uh, hey, this one, hey, here's a, something I say often. This one went a little longer than I had planned on. But I just, I hope you can understand that how I just want to help people be able to, to fix that broken heart. It takes time. What a cliche, but it is so true. But uh, I really like what Guy Winch said. A lot of those things he talked about, about 
it's like an addiction. It's like a drug and just trying to, to recognize that and not turn to that drug for comfort or to fill those voids that you have to recognize and fill those voids in your life. So a lot of those are social um, and, uh, and, and just starting by filling those. And, and if you are in a trauma bond, then I hope that that kind of rang true a little bit. Maybe you will seek some help so that, uh, that you, uh, won't continue to be in a trauma bonded relationship, but I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Um, I feel like this is one of those where if you know somebody that's struggling right now on fixing their broken heart, feel free to send this over to them. And if you are the person listening to this, um, thank the person who sent this to you and just know you're going to be okay. You really are. Um, learn some mindfulness skills. Uh, I like the app Headspace. There's a whole lot of good ones. Get out there and walk, feel the fresh air, um, use that app outside and uh, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. All right. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time and I'll talk to you next time on the virtual couch. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is Just